Now it's True Wealth presented by Little John Financial Services. Here is David Littlejohn with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, it is that time of the week. Your favorite Tuesday you've had the entire week, and we are stoked to bring you the True Wealth Radio Show. I am your host, Dave Littlejohn. Joining me in studio today, Matt Dixon. Matt, you yes. have prepared today. This is exciting. Yeah, well, you know, I was like, what if David's running late or gets caught behind a train today? So I felt like I had to come in here with something. (laughs) I was like, I've been here before. I've been in the hot seat, so I'm not going to get caught. No, I'm stoked that you did. Uh, Reminder to everybody, we are live streaming, so you can grab us on Facebook or YouTube if you want to see these mugs. I think uh, my face is clearly for radio. I feel like we keep getting better at it, too. Like, from that, where we yeah, started almost on time this time yeah, and we're figuring it out so yeah sure. uh you've set up nicely by the way thank you i have to give you mad props for that uh, i was playing a taxi driver to my kiddos to get into some things before getting to here after i, I calculated this out i've been in five and a half hours worth of meetings so far not counting uh, a breakfast it was just a buddy breakfast so right, that okay. doesn't count as a meeting but it was a, an hour breakfast and then five and a half hours of FaceTime on point now the radio show do you feel like though that the radio show is you almost coming up for air oh totally yeah now, this is probably some of my favorite time is I love sharing with our listeners mm-hmm. and then you know we're building content the trick of course is to make it quality and relevant and useful for everybody that's listening yeah, but yeah, this is this is fun for me. This it literally, it's almost like a break. I leave here and I'm always like, woohoo! That, you know, if I was tired, I will leave feeling more awake after the show. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah. So my thought for the radio show today, kind of where my mind's at with all of this, is we talked a little bit last week about are we at the bottom? And we kind of theorized, you know, where are we at with this market? I mean, Mm -hmm. and you kind of argued both sides of the coin for us. Right. And so I wanted to look at it a little bit more in depth today and say, okay, you know, where are we at in the economic cycle and what evidence is pointing to where we're at currently? Okay. Yeah. And I, I did this today in investment committee. I also pulled up a couple of tools that are sort of fun and useful for looking at ways to value where the market maybe should be. Yeah, and, so, and that was actually a really cool chart. Do you want to talk about that for I a minute? I can, because it's, it's super simple. And this is something that uh, any of you listening could do this, even with a simple spreadsheet or just a calculator, if you were willing to uh, just you know kind of write a few answers down. What I was doing was showing how price to earnings ratios have changed over time and how treasury yields have changed over time. And what what really brought this out is I was reading a, a Reddit post. I mean, this is kind of funny, right? Okay. Reddit is where yeah. you get, uh, you have to be careful if you're going to wade into that pool because you're going to get yeah, a little you, bit of everything. And if you're looking for politically correct, you are in the wrong place. Yeah. Right? Uh, so, but but there are some really sharp minds, and somebody was pointing out that, hey, you know what? If we go through an economic contraction of fifteen percent, mm-hmm. and what they were suggesting is, if we were expecting a, uh, you mean from where we're at currently, from, from, or from our prior highs? So let's just from where we're at. Let's say okay. we go fifteen percent contraction of earnings, and the suggestion is that the S and P five hundred has these projected earnings. So let's keep the math pretty easy. Okay, if we were talking about the S&P, if you looked at all the stocks of the S&P 500 
and you looked at how much earnings per share they had and you added them all up so all the companies you know it's like this company's a hundred dollars and it makes a dollar of earnings for the hundred so it's one dollar of earnings per hundred dollar share price right mm -hmm. and so you add up all the share prices and all of the earnings and you would come up with a total earnings number right and so the earnings number let's say it was 250 dollars per unit of the S&P 500 per aggregated shares altogether, right? Mm -hmm. So if there's $250 of earnings and you were to apply a multiple to it, meaning like how many times, how like 250 times what would give you a value? And if we looked at the current PE ratio of somewhere around 20, right? So you paid 20 times earnings, then the value of the stock market should be 5,000, okay? Mm -hmm. If if earnings were two hundred and fifty dollars a share, if earnings were two hundred dollars per share and it was a twenty PE ratio, the market should be at four thousand. Okay, follow me. And so what I'm doing is just multiplying the earnings per share times twenty. That twenty figure is what we would call the multiple. This is also what you would call the PE ratio. The price to earnings ratio is the multiple. So how many times earnings must you pay? to get the value of the, the stock or a value of a company, for example. So if we start with the premise that, and this was the base premise, right? I think it was, uh, you were gonna have uh, like a, a 14 multiple on the S&P, mm -hmm. which is pretty low. And then you were gonna have earnings in the neighborhood of about $225 a share. And if you think about, so if we had originally projected $250 of earnings, mm -hmm. but we think that it's going to be a 15% market decline, like economic contraction. Right. So the economy shrinks by 15%, or earnings at least shrink by 15%. Because believe it or not, you the economy could shrink maybe 5%, but earnings could shrink more. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's because earnings are just the margin in the business, right? That's the profit. So if the profit is everything above fixed cost, if you have the economy contract by a few percentage points, that may be all of the earnings for a company. Right. Right. It doesn't mean they're profitless, but it could they could be break even now. Mm -hmm. So you don't have like, oh, 15% decline in profit means 15% decline in the economy. No, they're not directly linked. So let's just play the math game, right? You former math teacher, right? Oh, you can, boy. You can play this game. So if we had originally expected $250 of earnings, and we have a 15% reduction in earnings. Okay. Okay. So 10% would have been 20 well, points off of that. Right? Yeah. 250. Yeah. So I, I just look at this and simply go, so we have $200 blocks and a $50 block. So it's $15 mm -hmm. per $100 block. So that's yep. $30 and then another $750 for the other half, right? So that would be $3,750 from $250. So that's going to leave us with what? $222.50? That's pretty that's close. Yours, yes. Yeah. So, so at, at $222.50 and a 14 multiple, the S&P 500 would, would fall from where it is today around $3,850. Mm-hmm down to 3115.
And we saw some pretty extreme projections in that range, like on the super extreme. The super extremes, like there was, there's some companies that have said, "Well, this could happen." Mm-hmm. That's like another twenty percent from here. Right. I, then that's. I mean, what are the odds of that? It seems like the odds would be pretty low. Well, you know, it all depends. If you're trying to look into history, right, and say, "Well, look at previous declines. It mm-hmm. could be this." And so, if you're really pessimistic, then you would say, "Well, of course, it's going to go down that far." If you're really optimistic, you say, well, that's ridiculous. But let's pretend we're just there, kind of neutral and looking at the I'm I'm not I'm going to just make this bold statement here. Okay. I think a 14 multiple is really low. Mhm. Right? When a year and a half ago we traded at almost a 40 multiple. Okay, when they were printing money. And the reason is because there's this relationship between yield on a treasury, like so, if you could get a, a guaranteed return, mm-hmm. okay, there's a relationship between that risk-free rate of return and the risked rate of return, and you can look throughout history, and what you find is when interest rates are pretty low, multiples tend to be higher. Mm-hmm. When interest rates get really high, multiples go down because it's not worth taking the risk in stocks. Right. So when we saw back in like the 70s or something you know when when you saw interest rates at 18% you saw multiples of like 7 okay we're seeing interest rates at 10 year treasury yields 3.5% mhm so that doesn't make a ton of sense to me that we can say well let's take from about a 20 to 21 multiple maybe and drop it by 35% right right that's just such an aggressive multiple adjustment so I think that maybe we see, uh, let's let's say we saw a 17 multiple on a 15% reduction in earnings. That's a value of 37.82. Which we've been kind of hovering in that range, right? yeah. If we went, if we had a 20 multiple, we should on on that projection of earnings, we should be at 44.50. Wow, which would be a pretty big recovery. That'd from be a here. recovery right yeah. now. Of over six hundred, well, about six hundred points, right, on the S and P. So six hundred points in today's value, you know, you're talking about what? Uh, that's more than tw- well, yeah. That's that's about a eighteen percent recovery, right? And this is just in the debate over multiples. Mm-hmm. So, I think we should understand this relationship of numbers and how we value the markets. And then talk about all these economic things at play here, because for our listeners, how do you figure out well which multiple makes sense? Mm-hmm. Right. So let's start with the backdrop of what we know about the market, which is its price. The stock market, S and P five hundred, is about thirty eight fifty. We know that it's off of its peak, that was uh, close to four, forty like eight hundred and something. Yeah. Right. So it went from forty eight something down to. Over a thousand point drop. Mm-hmm. So year to date, it's down somewhere around 18, 18 and a half percent year to date, and off right. of its peak, about twenty or a little more. Mm-hmm. So a bear market, full blown twenty percent correction. Some people call that a crash. I think that's inflammatory language, <laughs> but right because you know that just yeah. panics people. It's a crash. Oh my gosh! Like it's it's down. That sucks. But right. let's not try to panic people with our language here. So. If we know that as our backdrop, this is where we've come from already. This is the historical norms. And we think about 
just how much farther do you think the Fed's going to raise rates? And what does that mean for the economy? That, to me, sets the table for everything that you've prepared. I like it. But before we get to that, I think yeah, it's probably... It, yeah, I'm going to okay. say it's probably time for one of those obscene profit right. breaks. Right. All right. So we'll take a scene profit break. All right. There's the music. So we'll do that. We'll stick around and we'll be right back and we'll get into this more. But uh, first, these important messages. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you're listening to True Wealth. A news radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. If you are just tuning in, you can grab the podcast later by going to uh, littlejohnfs.com. It'll be posted there. Your favorite podcasting places, you can look them up. We're also live streaming online. And uh, credit to my good man, Matt, who we had one of our cameras go down, and he has gotten it back up and live. So well played, sir. And you can see that today was... um, Almost Aloha shirt day. We're in the 90s, so we're not scared. To, and I should say 90s in temperature, right? Not like 90s. Well, duh, you guys get it. We're recording now. So, Matt, when we were setting the table here, we talked about multiples and how the market gets valued and so forth. And you really, you know, you've been kind of following this, the, the economic cycle, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, also, I just as I recall... Right, you know, you were one of the more pessimistic about where this market was headed early mm-hmm. on. Uh, when we started to go into this, you um, seemed to, and I think correctly later identified this thing's getting messy in a hurry. Right, and you figured it was going down. I think your ultimate call may have been more extreme than we're at currently. Yeah, but um, so so I, I feel like you've you've done a lot of study here. What are your thoughts on where we're at in the cycle? Well, I've noticed that, you know, I mean, we hit that 3,600 mark, which was something I had an eye on, and we got away from it pretty quick. We started to recover and move higher from there. Um, and, and you just mean, like, we got below 3,700 on the S&P 500. Yeah, we, right? like... I think we went into, like, 3,650. We yeah, we like, went... We didn't, like, get way, Yeah, way we were there for, like, a brief moment and then yeah, like ran the out of it. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, you know, the buyers in the marketplace saw that as a buying opportunity. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of held that ground for a couple, what, has it been two weeks now that we've held uh, that for? Close it to, seems close like to it. a month. I feel like it was like June 16th or 17th where we really troughed out. Has it been that long? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's July 12th yeah, now. So I guess it's been so. Almost yeah. A month. So it's yeah. been a while. And we've kind of been hovering in this range. Uh-huh. And the market knows that we have more interest rate hikes coming, yet we've kind of just hung around. And what's been interesting is we've seen oil kind of taper off and we've seen tech kind of get some footing. And so it seems like things are kind of starting to normalize a little bit um, in the marketplace. Um, You know what the good sign to me is? Well, I don't know if this is what you're thinking. There's still so many pessimists out there. I actually think that's a good sign when people are telling me, why they believe it's just going to get so much worse from here. Well, the volatility index, too, has started mm-hmm. to kind of normalize. We aren't seeing those huge 10% swings in between days, right? Like, right. Well, the volatility index itself, if you remember, the, the, the VIX is, that's what it's called. So if you look mm-hmm. up VIX, that's the volatility index. Uh, the numbers associated with that have sort of drifted lower. The higher mm-hmm. the number, the more volatile. Right. It's a measure of option pricing. So when, when option pricing spikes up, that means that people are 
how, there's more implied volatility. There's more assumption that there's going to be volatility in the future, mm-hmm. and therefore it has to be priced in as such. So to see a scenario where that fix is declining would suggest that the markets are getting a little bit more uh, at ease with what the future looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that could of course change at any moment too. But yeah. it, it's interesting to see that it's it's largely become more sanguine. Is that the right term for it? Just more sure. chill. You know, the, the mm-hmm. fix is chilling out. Yeah. So it's I, I think we're starting to kind of see a shift in sentiment almost mm-hmm. in the marketplace. So. Probably the a lot more important than people realize. Uh, I think sentiment's a big deal. We don't talk about it a ton on the show, uh, but the reality is somebody's willingness to buy or sell that 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 eagerness level to participate in the mm-hmm. markets one way or the other i think has a material i mean that that is like the big thing right mm-hmm. i mean who cares what caused the sentiment the sentiment is what causes the behavior right and i look at this like you know there's a lot of really big time investors that come into this saying we know we can't time the bottom we know that it's 20% off do we want to miss catching that upswing or do we want to start participating in the markets? Because if you get people rushing to participate, that's going to drive the price higher too. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I kind of, when I look at the backdrop, it's, that's a tougher sell for me personally mm-hmm. to think that everybody that just got burned really bad is going to all of a sudden find free cash and become big buyers in this market. Right. Right. Especially because a lot of it was driven on the retail side in the last year or two with, you know, the Mm -hmm. stimulus money and so forth. Fun question for you, Matt. Yeah. Because we are arguably generationally divided, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm really in the Gen X. You're, and this is not an insult when I say this, but, you know, you fall demographically in the millennial generation. Unfortunately, I hate to identify with that group, but But, I I have to. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay, right? Look, I mean, that the whole thing about trying to label people, therein mm-hmm. lies a big problem culturally right now. Yeah. We're so busy trying to throw people into groups mm-hmm. to identify them. And I'm like, like you can give 35 million people the same, the same behavioral traits. Right. You're like, well, you know, there's kind of a bell curve and the, the majority of people fall mm-hmm. in this trend. I go, you can say that about like humans, right? You know, for the most part, we're awake during daylight. Some people are nocturnal and some people work nights, but like for the most part, we're solar powered. Okay. Mm-hmm. Big rocket science there. But I mean, there's some stereotypical truth to it too. Like this, the millennial generation really hasn't seen the hardship that prior generations had to go through. Right. right? Well, like, or even, um, you know, I always talk about the, the, the Gen X group is this, um, what we call a digital immigrant, like grew up without, like the technology wasn't there at first, but we got it at such an early age that Mm -hmm. everybody adopted it like natives, right? So it's like throwing a kid into another culture. Yeah, maybe they weren't born with that language, but they're young enough that they assimilate it and they don't have an accent and everything works. And you're like, well, they kind of got the old world and the new world. Well, I think that's the Gen X, which gives a little of the cynicism too about Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I know my parents rode uphill both ways in the snow, right? Mm-hmm. And we kind of joke about like, and so did I, like whatever. <laughs> but um, I wonder about the changing of the guard in terms of who's driving this market. Really? A little bit, if you think I about- I mean, I know that the Robin Hood kind of movement really did change the marketplace a little bit for a while. But how many people are under 40 now mm-hmm. that 
if you think about the median age of advisors, the advisors aren't the ones on Wall Street, right? Wall Street's kind of a high pressure deal. How many Wall Street floor trader types that are, you know, seasoned vets that are in their, you know, mid to late 50s and older are still there versus you've got this younger group that's coming in and starting to shift behaviors? Yeah, I mean, that's right? something I to mean, think it's, about. It's, is that a thing? I, I have. I, it's only an, it's an anecdotal question. I, I think no, we need to I take no a trip to New York to really to really find I out. Did it? <laughs> went, and when I was there, the markets went up. I know you brought all the luck. to Everything New York, was right? working. I was at Wall Street. I was like, guys, I'll do it myself if you won't. And you did. And it was working. And then I leave, and they're like, oh, thank God, Little John left. Let's just drive this thing back down. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's really what happened, by the way. If it ever gets really bad again, we're buying you a plane ticket and sending you. I don't want to be there. I I really now. I you I appreciate like, grass now. I appreciate the space. I totally get what it means to be in a high density environment now. Uh, I will tell you that you are just bombarded by marketing of all types. Whether you want to call that propaganda or advertising or <laughs> media or whatever. Pet How about name a combination of both? It is all of it. You are there's just nowhere you can look where there's not an advertising message. It's on every building. It's in every you know taxi. It's in every um, like subway car, and there it's just everywhere. It's literally on light posts. There are banners hanging from light posts with advertising on them. It's everywhere. So you cannot escape. <laughs> Uh, so it changes. It changed my perspective of like I, I really get now why population centers think so different than rural areas. They're just being fed the same message on repeat twenty four seven. It's not just that. I mean, like if you live in a super concentrated area, you actually wonder like where am I going to get clean water from? Mm-hmm. Right? And we're like, how's the trash going to get taken away? Like those are real things. Like New York's trash is. Remarkable. They literally pile bags full on the street, and then they come and collect it. And the smells and everything, that's all part of the experience, evidently. Hmm. I mean, we look around, and we're like, well, no, you have a trash can that you put it all in, and then you take it to the street, and it's lovely, and it goes away. Like, Or you can you know, take it to the dump later. Like, Can you imagine somebody in New York that doesn't even own a car? Like, what's, they probably what don't the even. Yeah, they probably don't even think about where it goes. It just magically disappears you know, in the middle of the night. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, I just the urban and rural divide. It makes so much more sense why that divide continues to grow, mm-hmm. and you just see the uh, people there. There, it takes so much time and effort to get places that this their circle kind of gets to the area that they operate in. Where here, you could like three hours. You know, you know, three hours is like getting across. Manhattan or something on a train or going from, mm-hmm. you, you know, to go, t- it took an hour and a half to go 20 miles to the airport from in Manhattan during rush hour. It'll be interesting. An hour to, and a half to go 20 miles. In an hour and a half, I can be almost to Salem. Right. <laughs> so it'll actually wild. be interesting to see kind of how that population density changes over time because for a really long time, people just kept you know migrating to these big cities and the big cities kept getting bigger and then COVID happened and people were able to work from home and they started looking and saying hey well i can buy a house in a more rural area for half the price of what i'm paying now and so we've actually seen kind of the opposite effect happen. we've seen both 
right? We've seen people that are in COVID, people wanted the space, so they left. But then you see people that are like, no, you know what? I'm just, I'm a city person. I just need to be in where the action is. Mm-hmm. And they want to get back to that higher density. And so it's in, and I think at different points in your life, you may feel different about it. Like being young in Manhattan is probably cooler than being old in Manhattan because it's harder to get around everywhere. You right. know? So it just takes more physical effort. Yeah. Um, and, and why, I guess it started with that whole digression of, is there this changing of the guard on Wall Street that's starting to change the way things behave? I don't know. Or or do you ever change the guard or do we just pass the baton to the next person It's kind of the cookie cutter of the last person? I don't know. My gut feeling is you kind of pass the baton and that going back to our original commentary, like that there is a ton of institutional money that's driving this thing versus the the per, you know the retail investor that's kind of doing it on their own. Yeah. Well, the, I, it's, there's always been mostly institutional money that drives the market. Right. That's true. Because I mean, that's the, the really big box. I also think that's what anchors the market, right? What, mm-hmm. what keeps the market from completely imploding, imploding on itself yeah, yeah, is the institutional money. But Yeah, can it, you imagine what the stock market would look like if there was no institutional money and everyone just managed all yeah, of it, their own it, money? It's like the difference between being on an aircraft carrier and a canoe, right? <laughs> like in a canoe... You, like one person leans too far to the side and everybody falls out. Right? Yeah, you know? that's a good analogy. <laughs> so like we, we want that stability here, folks. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, you can't turn an aircraft carrier very fast. That is true. Mm-hmm. Right. So that but that's also maybe the good thing. <laughs> so I don't know. Anyway, look, we're uh, we're running long on a segment here. I think we probably have to take another obscene profit break. But when we get back, when we get back. Uh, I'm going to let Mark, Matt talk all about the economy. Oh, boy. So stick Here around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. All right, everybody. We are back from the break. You're listening to the True Wealth Show. And we've got David in studio and myself, Matt Dixon. And so, David, where did we leave off? Well, we've talked about all kinds of goofiness today, right? Yeah. We've talked about some of the ways that people may value the market, mm-hmm. right? You know, and I, I talked about specifically P.E. ratios and how that can affect or how you can use that to sort of divine a value for stocks uh, yeah. or the S&P 500, right? So you, it's just a multiple of the aggregate earnings of all the companies in the S&P 500. Uh, we talked a little bit about Things that drive the economy, and you know, my question was: Do you do you think that there's any sort of changing of the guard generationally, mm-hmm. where what we're seeing in the marketplace is starting to change? And then we also talked a little bit about the VIX and how volatility, it, you know, we've been tracking, and it looks like volatility is coming out of this market. So it's a, that which is that's a sign that, that's a good sign if volatility is coming out of the market. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, where do we go from here? Well, one of the things that's been on my mind is everyone has been talking about, are we headed into a recession? Right. Yes. And I oh, think did I say that out loud. <laughs> right. And so I yeah, we're probably already in it. By the right. Way. And so some of the stuff that I was looking at earlier today, um, it was it was 10 major indicators of what you can expect if you're headed into a depression or a recession. Either one. And one of those was um, a slump in the stock market. Right. So for depression, they're different. Recession. And this was labeled as a depression, but I don't know that we're going to head into yeah. a depression just How because historically. The did they define it for you? They didn't. Okay. I, mean, I mean, so usually this is what I understand the definition to be: two quarters 
is formal recession. And we've like, had like, two quarters. Well, we've had one quarter, but you know, we had GDP continuing to go up, so we were concerned, or CPI well, continuing to go up. So we're looking for two quarters of back-to-back decline in GDP mm-hmm. would be considered a recession, right? One is an anomaly, two in a row is a recession. It's more than six, and we call it a depression. So six quarters, mm-hmm. right? So two, two, six, we're in a- Well, we've had about six months of consecutive downturn. Quarters, not months. Right? Yeah. So you got the three months, one quarter. So we've had six months, but that's not market downturn. Right. right. Stock market's unrelated right. to recession, right? Mm-hmm. Because like a, a a bear market, that's not it. It's GDP decline, mm-hmm. right? So when you see gross domestic product shrink, and that's bad news because usually tax receipts shrink, unemployment grows, and then you have deflationary pressures, which if those are, you know, inflation has its own problem set. Deflation has a different problem set. Mm-hmm. Both both need to be combated. What we want is price stability, and that's usually historically defined as low but inflationary, right? Mm-hmm. Things gradually get more expensive with time, um, and that was by design. Right. So anyway, not yeah. to hijack your no, point. No, no, no. That's you know, a good so point. Really, but depression, that's pretty significant. Six right. quarters, we really haven't experienced that. Even in 2008, we didn't experience that. Right. Yeah. Um, but one of the things it was talking about was, you know, obviously a, a pullback in the stock market. We saw that. We saw about a 20% pullback. And then the second thing it was talking about was a decrease in manufacturing orders, which when I think about that, um, I think we've seen that already happen, not necessarily by design, though. I think that was more of a supply chain issue. Because people still need things, want things. Like, look at the auto manufacturing plants, right? People are lining up to buy new vehicles, but they can't get them. So Mm -hmm. we've actually seen a decrease in manufacturer orders because the companies can't deliver on their product. So are you talking about orders from manufacturers to, to another manufacturer? Are you talking about the consumer the consumer to the manufacturer i mean i guess orders are up but yeah, the I, amount that, that are being filled are is low what i'm seeing is maybe a order fulfillment is down because right. you can't get the product to the end of the goal you know across mm-hmm. the finish line um, the question is like real estate yeah, you know, we're seeing some demand destruction because the cost of borrowing is gone. Well, and we've seen a decrease in the demand for lumber a little bit that drove the price down. Sure, sure. Lumber well, was the price was so high at some point. Right. It's like no, uh, so okay. I mean, but but how about oil? It's below hundred dollars a barrel right now. It's true. We have actually seen oil. Uh, oil prices hike. You know that was one of the the main things here. Mm-hmm. But we have seen oil pull back. And what I'm kind of hinting at with a lot of these, this is kind of a peek as to where I'm going with this. We've already seen a lot of these things happen, mm-hmm. right? And so if we can go through this list that I've got and say, hey, we've, we've seen that, we've seen this, we've seen that. And you start looking at the, the chart on what does a economic cycle look like, you have your expansionary phase and you have a peak and then you know you have a pullback um, and a, con- a contraction, contraction. And, re- and then we eventually get to a trough. Right. And so I'm wondering, you know, and then coming out of the trough, obviously back to that expansionary phase, I'm wondering how much of that pullback, that contraction have we already seen? And are we kind of at that point to where we're, we're seeing the trough? 
So what's what are the what are the signs that you're, so, you're watching? So, um, one of those was businesses laying off employees to survive. Okay, well that's happening. Uh, yeah, and we saw that today. Microsoft had, I think, they were down three percent, and that was on the news that they were laying off some employees. Okay. So um, Facebook that happened last week, um, mm -hmm. and so we've seen we've seen that already. We're seeing it right now. Yep. Um, you talked about oil prices, so that was one. Okay. Um, we saw the huge spike in oil prices, and since then it's, you know, I think we're under $100 a barrel right now. I think so, too. And commodities in general have come down in price, mm -hmm. right? Now, of course, those are a unique market. They move a lot more than the stock market in many cases, so uh, it's, a, it's a more dynamic, volatile market often. Mm -hmm. But, yes, we've, we've seen... Uh, those commodity prices drop. The next sign was a loss of consumer confidence. Oh, okay. Well, that I mean, one, that's, that's clear. Even yeah. people that don't know what they're talking about have, uh, meaning like they, they're not familiar with a lot of stuff, but they know mm -hmm. the markets are broken. They're like, I mean, I'm no expert here, but I this mean, is not okay. I mean, have you seen people alter their spending habits? I sure have. Yes. Well, I've altered my spending habits. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, feel I've like... I've altered my driving habits. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, and it's not extreme, but, you know, we're not taking trips just for the sake of uh per se you know i'm kind of going well when i take a run out to the grocery store or whatever i'm gonna you know make sure i get everything on the list yeah so i definitely think we've seen uh consumer confidence fall the other one was rising inflation so yeah. i mean that everyone knows that that's happened yeah well we've seen it in such real ways you know the, mm -hmm. the food and energy inflation has been very very obvious the price of you know home ownership or rent has also gone up so much recently so yeah that one's pretty obvious the one that i i would like to kind of pick your brain on is the worsening unemployment rate so that one's kind of tricky because unemployment was really low for a really long time just now i think we're kind of starting to experience that where i mean we just talked about microsoft and facebook as examples mm -hmm. They're starting to lay people off. I think that we'll start to see the unemployment rate climb higher. I would suspect so, and that the Federal Reserve has more or less said that's on their list. You know, they, okay. have, they have a dual mandate, right? So the Federal Reserve has two things that it wants to do. It wants to maintain pricing stability, mm -hmm. and it wants to maintain full employment. But historically, full employment has been a 5% unemployment rate. Right. If you think about it, you know, you look around and you go, yeah, five out of a hundred people probably don't need that job. And when I say need, it's like no, they're like they're not qualified. They're they're just either unwilling to work or they're unproductive, or they're literally they have other competency issues that prevent them from being viable in the workplace. So, and again, that's anecdotal. Somebody wants to jump on me for that one. I'm like, whatever, you know, like that's just picking fights for picking fights' sake. The point is that full employment is not every person has a job. Right. That is a utopia that doesn't exist because there are people that just buck Choose. authority. They yeah. don't want it. Yep. Okay. So the Fed's got this dual mandate, and if if we're at an unemployment rate of like three percent right now, then we actually need the job market to cool off just to reach a more stable price point. Exactly. Otherwise, it, it contributes to inflation. Wage inflation. So yes. So that that impacts price stability. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they are they're independent, but, you know, they, they still kind of hold hands. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think the I think the Fed's eyeballing that for sure. Yeah. 
So, I mean, we're checking a lot of these boxes. Right. The next one on there was declining property sales. And certainly in the housing market. I just mm -hmm. read a crazy stat. Okay. Like over 19% of homes under contract in the last month uh, fell, fell through. I think, and I need yeah. to go check that. You know, it wouldn't I mean, surprise I, that was, me. That was one of those. It stood out in my mind as like outlandish. And if that is really what the do you case, think could be the reason for that? People saying rates just spiked like crazy. I need to bail out of this thing. Mm -hmm. You know, like the numbers don't work anymore. Right. And so, you, you know, I could totally see that. We're seeing time on market extending. We're seeing uh, inventory change. And so there are a lot of signs that the housing market is beginning to roll over. And a lot of people have been, you know, running to sell their home because they're wanting to capitalize on home prices still being really high. And so yep. I think we've seen a large, you know, push of inventory. And yeah. I figure a lot of people thought they'd wait until summer mm -hmm. because summer is the prime time for selling uh, historically. And the rates did not cooperate. Mm -hmm. Right. So Correct. people are like, oh, man, you got to be kidding me. We went from you know, 3% mortgages to almost 6% mortgages, that's a huge shift, right? Seismic shift. So. Yeah. What about uh, credit card defaults? I think you mentioned that like a month ago even. It's a biggie that we like to track in terms of the, sp the spread between high quality and low quality credit. Mm -hmm. That's a, a really important indicator that uh, Research, you know, with some of the groups that I've been in, our research has indicated that when you start to see a widening in the cost, the the cost of it, credit. So basically, mm -hmm. lousy credit starts to cost more than people with good credit. Uh, that that's usually a bad economic sign because that means default rates right. are likely increasing, and so the cost of capital is again expanding and getting more challenging for people with poor or unavailable credit. So yeah. that, that can be a real negative sign. Yep. Yeah. So I've not I've not looked at that in a while to to give a to give you a good snapshot of where it's at, but you can kind of see it in just default rates in yeah. the uh, junk market or the high yield market. And uh, last I looked, we're starting to see uh, a slight shift in that environment as well. So that's that is uh, it's checking out of the box. Right, and those those are the ten. So you know we went through them pretty quick, but it looks like from everything that I can tell, we're checking these boxes. So we were there. Right. So, I so have a super important question after yeah. these 10, right? And that is going to be asked after this critical final break. Okay. <laughs> like, really? That's the cliffhanger? Yeah, it, you'll, you'll Where see. do we go from here, David? You want to know, like, what's the question? Um, stick around and I'll tell you, but first this break. This is Dave Little John. And Matt Dixon. You're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQE. Let me just repeat that for our listening audience, right? Okay. The world, the real estate markets cannot be fueled exclusively by people selling homes in California <laughs> and moving somewhere else. And if right. you didn't catch that, you should be on the live stream. <laughs> yeah. It, we were talking about this over the break, right? So welcome back to the True Well Show. Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And we, we were going over some of the things that are signs of economic recession or depression. Right? Mm -hmm. And so the list was really fast. So a stock market crash, again, that's inflammatory language, but what are you going to do, right? Um, decline in manufacturing orders. Uh, you've got deflation pressure, oil prices or commodity prices uh, spiking uh, or de declining for that matter. You know, basically extreme yeah. volatility there. Um, loss of consumer confidence, changes in unemployment, 
uh, declining property sales, and, and there's others too, you know, increasing default rates for credit and so forth. Right. So all of that with the backdrop is, you know, one of the things that has really driven the housing market in our region of the country. And I know some of you listen in other places in the world, right? You're not just in uh, Oregon. So if you're in another region, this may not be applicable. But here, it's common for folks to sell a home at a premium in California and then move up here and purchase a new home and then kind of bank the proceeds as retirement assets. Yep. So that that's a, a trend that we see often. Uh, it has created some structural problems in our own local real estate market because it's kept the prices really high and the local job market doesn't really support that because the people that move here aren't, uh, I mean, they're participating in the service economy somewhat, but it's not enough to drive major economic activity to sort of move your hermit location to the Pacific Northwest. Right. Right. That's So anyway, the the issue that I was joking about is, how long can somebody keep selling their house for a premium in California when you're seeing people, they have a net export of people now, well, right? So if you see more people leaving California than coming to California, then at some point, real estate demand should begin to decline. And so that that theory that you know somebody can keep, they'll keep paying more for a house in California so that they can then take the proceeds and spend more in other hot markets in the country that suggests to me that that could end. Mm-hmm. And and the hot markets, you know, I, I'm not picking on markets when I say this, but, you know, Nashville, Tennessee is a really hot market. Does yeah. it stay there? I mean, it's an attractive tax environment, so that helps. Bend, Oregon, can it stay there? Maybe not, right? You know, that we've seen a shift there. Or can um, it continue growing at the same rate? Well, I mean, it, it seems like with um, urban growth boundaries and the availability of mm-hmm. places to expand they're kind of running out of right running out of options mm-hmm. so i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know but I, I will tell you that with when rates were three percent people could buy a lot more of a house in sun river than with rates at seven yep right and so that that applies either everybody has to have double the wage they used to because they're going to have double the mortgage or something's got to give and I mean, my suspicion is something's got to give. I've kind of said this for a while now. When you print more money in the last year than you did in the previous 200 combined, <laughs> then at some point you're going to have to pay the bill. Right? And like money printing, win, lose, or draw. You, uh, you know, we did what we did in the pandemic response. Okay. I'm not making a judgment call, good, bad, or otherwise. I'm just saying the response had a cost, and that bill ultimately comes due, and we're beginning to pay it. Mm-hmm. Right? And if may, maybe it turns out paying the bill when everybody has got jobs was the right way to do it. You know, when we shut everything down, it wasn't time to pay the bill. Uh, we don't have the benefit of going back and trying other ways. We have the way we did. I don't believe the world's coming to an end because of it. I do believe that we're going to have to, the financial system is going to have to process this and that at some point, ha, this is the, you know, we're going to take our medicine, right? At some point, we're going to pay the bill. That point is now. <laughs> it's happening. Yeah, like I'm feeling the pain. It just is. 
right? Mm-hmm. And and there's it's pointless to, but to how many blame times in history have we else? done something similar, right? Like maybe not to this magnitude, but made some type of colossal yeah. mistake that we have to pay for. I mean, well, it's been, happened so many times. There are always going to be mistakes, and there's always going to be arm armchair quarterbacks, right? Yep. Monday morning quarterbacks that are going to say, "Well, I would have done it different, this, that, and the other." And some people would have. Some people from the beginning have said they would do it different. Okay? Mm-hmm. And then their way isn't what happened. And so they're going to be righteous about it. Like, I told you so, I told you so. But the reality is nobody knew. We ought to take reasonable approximations. Or maybe it wasn't reasonable at all, but we did what we did. Here we be. So what if someone's feeling nervous about this and they want someone to talk to? What should they do? Okay. So first, find somebody you trust. Okay. If you don't have that somebody, give us a call, right? And and we will help you find that somebody, whether it's us or somebody else or whatever it is. What are some ways they can reach us? Isn't that usually your job? To yeah, you I'm turning this show around back on you. Just to see if yeah. I can figure it out. So uh-huh. look, a lot of ways that you can get to our team. And it is a team. So Matt and I are on the team, Justin's on the team, Wes is still around, and we've got, you know, we got a group that that puts our heads together for this. You can call us. It's 541-375-0898. Okay. You can email us. Okay. And so that one is info at littlejohnfs.com. You can go to our social media environments. So don't go to my personal page. I'm going to pretend like, you know, like if you try to do that, I'm going to redirect you. But you can go to our uh, Little John FS business page on LinkedIn or on um, on Facebook or whatever, and, and you can get to us through there. And what if they miss this? Well, then they can check the podcast. Okay. Or wow. the live stream. Live stream will be posted to YouTube. Uh, subscribe to it. That would help us out and, and share it with friends. So okay. that, or go to uh, our webpage at info, or I'm sorry, at www.littlejohnfs.com, and you guys can download it under the Educate tab. But okay. We're out of time for now, Matt, so I guess we got to sign off. All right. So until next time, this has been David Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. You've been listening to The True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM. The program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.